if you know the story of Ruth, you know that Ruth and Naomi and Orpah had been through some very tragic circumstances. Ruth's father-in-law, Naomi's husband, had made a decision to leave Bethlehem, the house of bread, and go to a land of Moab, a place where the, the Israelites had been commanded not to marry, you know, they had been commanded that their children should marry within the nation of Israel. And yet we have a father, I believe, looking, trying to look out for his family. There was famine in the place that, interestingly, is known as the house of bread. There was a famine, a dearth. And so looking out for the needs of his family and maybe trying to justify that a little bit with the commands of God, he made a decision, right? Maybe a decision that, given the same circumstances, I don't know that I wouldn't have made it myself. Maybe I would have chosen to leave a place where though the name has to do with provision, there just simply wasn't a lot of provision. And perhaps I would have gone to the land of Moab myself. I don't know. But I do know this. There are times in my life when I've been faced with some similar decisions. The thing we don't get to do when we make decisions is go back in time and change them. Do we? Yeah, we don't. I mean, we can, we can find forgiveness and restoration in a lot of ways and move forward, but the decisions we made yesterday, they're, they're made, right? And maybe sometimes in some small ways we can go back. See, see in this story, Naomi is going back. She's leaving Moab and going to the house of bread, but she cannot undo the death of her husband, the deaths of her son, son-in-law, she can't undo the tragic circumstances that have happened to her. We could say, you know, I've heard many messages like this. Well, you know, maybe none of that would have happened if Naomi's husband had made a different decision way back when he was struggling whether to move or whether to stay. See, we get the benefit of hindsight, don't we? We get, we get the benefit to go back and say, hey, Naomi, you should have done a little more to convince your husband to stay in Bethlehem. Maybe none of that would have happened. Maybe not, right? There's no guarantee that her husband still wouldn't have died and that the, the husbands that perhaps her daughters married there in Israel, that the same thing would have happened, uh, you know. But we, we get to look at the Bible and a lot of these stories, and we get to see the beginning and the process and the end. So I was thinking about that idea. It hit me that I too am in that process. I had a beginning and I'm living and every day of my life I'm making choices and decisions. You know, sometimes those choices and those decisions seem to be so meaningless, insignificant, and small. Not, not too consequential. 
But sometimes a decision that seems to be so inconsequential becomes immensely consequential. A decision to go a different way to work could result in a car accident. <laughs> you know? I, we, we make decisions all that. There's two or three ways I can come to church. And I make that decision every day when I pull out, and I don't give it a second thought. And today my point is not to stir you up with fear. It's to, my point today is for us to understand that we're in a process where every decision we make could potentially be very consequential. Every decision, every choice. When we look in the Bible, we find that God often gave people choice. You know, sometimes we'll say, you know, God is sovereign and he overrules and everything and he overrules in the affairs of men. So we kind of sometimes feel like, well, then it really doesn't matter maybe the decisions that I make so much because there's a God, right? Yet there was a time in David's life when God came to him and said, you've sinned, I'm giving you three options. You choose your consequence. Pestilence, fleeing from your enemies. And I don't remember what the third one was. And David chose the pestilence because maybe he thought it would impact the fewest people. God came to Solomon and said, Solomon, you have a choice. And Solomon chose wisdom. And yet, in the choices those men made, did they stop the plan of God? No. We have a God who's so big, who, whom when he comes and gives us choice, and by the way, he does give us choice, can still work. All the choices of six billion people plus to the bringing about of his divine plan. But sometimes he gives choice. Sometimes the Bible doesn't expl explicitly use the word choice, but there's a choice the people or an individual are making. Much like here in Ruth. Isn't Ruth making a decision in that story? You know, Ruth has no idea that the, de that the decision to leave her homeland and to take on the culture, the life, the God of another place would result that she would be in the lineage of our Savior. Does she know that in the moment of that choice? No. Now, I do believe she thought that was a, that, that, that she gets that that's, that's immensely consequential. I'm going to use that a lot today. In other words, huge. That's not an easy decision to abandon everything you're familiar with to go somewhere you're totally unfamiliar with. It's not an easy decision to make. Nor should it be, by the way. Because sometimes we do get that the choices we're making are defining moments. 
sometimes we are aware of that. And sometimes we're not aware that some small choice we're making becomes a defining moment when you get to look back. So for Ruth, this was a defining moment in her life, wasn't it? She left everything. She went to follow Naomi. She meets Boaz. She gets married. She has children. And, and, and if, you, if you remember the genealogy that I gave out from Adam to Jesus, she's in there. Now, it doesn't list her by name in that way. It's Boaz had the son, you know, the son of. But in the Bible, it tells us Boaz begat through Ruth a son who, through, the, through that genealogy, comes Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, how in the world does all of that fit in with glorifying God with my vote? Well, today I want to develop that kind of thought a little bit. Um, I want to talk about voting for God. But the kind of voting I'm talking about has nothing to do with what will happen on, I believe it's November 6th. Is it November 6th? I think so. I'm not really talking about when you go and you get in the privacy of that booth and you're looking at several different names. Okay? What I'm talking about today are the choices and the decisions we make every day. Now, when we look at Joshua chapter 24, this is a classic passage about choosing, about making a choice. It's a, it's a story where the, in the nation of Israel as a people are presented a clear choice. A clear choice. So let's look at it. Joshua chapter 24, or chapter 24, verses 14 through 24. Joshua 24, verses 14 uh, through 24. And you're, you've already beat me there, so... Joshua 24. Let me get there. The Israelites have gone into the promised land. They've begun to conquer. They haven't fully accomplished the will of God. But they're well on their way. And Joshua says in verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away, the God, put, put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, if it seems that idea is just bad, like, you know, you know if I serve God, horrible things are going to happen. If that's really what, what, what you think, then choose you this day whom ye will serve. you might explore the idea or the concept that we all serve something. We live in a culture that, you know, be independent, you know, express your individual identity and all that kind of stuff. But God's created us to serve, to yield to something. And we may not realize it, but in the individual choices and decisions we make every day, we are actively yielding ourselves to something. We are being influenced. And Joshua knows that and he says this, look, if it seems like a bad thing to you to serve God, then choose you whom ye will serve, because you will serve something. 
whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. By the way, some of those gods were the kinds of gods, Baal and others, Molech, where they would heat the arms up on this stone god that would stand like this and they would build a fire underneath it and it would heat those arms red hot and they would sacrifice children on the arms of those gods. So if you hear this argument that, you know, God's a revengeful God in the Old Testament, but he's a God of grace in the New Testament, can I tell you that's a lie? Because God doesn't change in either one. He holds nations and people accountable for their actions. And they had 400 years. They had 40 years in the wilderness wanderings to, where, where Israel could testify and be a testimony that there was a God who provided for them. Their shoes didn't wear out. They had food every day. There was a witness and a testimony for these people. They are not innocent before God. Just wanted to throw that in there. So the gods of the Amorites, you can serve those gods. Here's your choice. Those gods... The Egyptians' God, the, the, the Egyptian gods, which were, were really a hodgepodge of everything. Hence the ten plagues. You remember those plagues? You know, they worshipped the cows, and they, they worshipped the, the sun, and they worshipped all these other things, and God proved to them that there was one God by showing his power over their gods. So these Israelites, man, they've got this awesome, unbelievable history of God proving himself. And so Joshua presents them with a choice they've been presented with many, many times before and will be presented with many, many times in the future. Every new person would be presented this choice. Choose you whom you will serve. As we keep reading, we find out what the people, the choice that they made. Notice Joshua's statement. But as for me... And my house, we will serve the Lord. This was an individual decision and yet a collective one at the same time, wasn't it? He's presented it to a whole nation, but then he sets himself apart and says, but as for me, here's what I'm going to do. It doesn't really matter to me what you do. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm presenting you with the same choice that I've, that, that I've been presented with. And my choice is that I will serve the Lord, me and my house. We will serve the Lord. What a great decision to make do you think that's a decision of immense consequence do you think that's going to change a few things in the household of joshua i think i think it will we keep reading and the people answered and said god forbid that we should forsake the lord to serve other gods for the Lord our God, notice they, they remember the history. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up, uh, up and, and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave or drove out the people uh, or from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Now did they have to pick up their swords? Were they active? Did they have to make decisions to cooperate? Yeah, but who got the credit here? They gave the Lord the credit. Therefore, verse 18. See, we've seen God do these amazing things. Therefore, will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord 
<laughs> no, you I remember having a Sunday school teacher in our junior church program at, at our church, and he was so sensitive to kids. You know, sometimes kids want to do things just to please you, so he was really sensitive to that, and he didn't want people, he didn't want, he didn't want children saying, I, I want to believe in Jesus in order just to please the teacher, right? So he would do something like this. He would tell them, no, you, you don't, you don't. And they, you know, I, I can remember a couple of times, no, 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 teacher, I want to I wanna trust Jesus. Or they'd make some kind of statement like it, and he would know that they were sincere. So here's Joshua. You know, listen, this is not something you can flippantly do. You better count the cost to borrow words from Jesus. You better count the cost. You, listen, you can't serve God. He's holy, don't you understand? He has commands that accompany his service. He has some standards that accompany his service. He's holy. And if you're going to represent him, you'll need to be holy. You cannot serve God. You cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. Listen, if you make this decision, He's going to hold you to it. And we say, well, pastor, is that concept in the New Testament? It most certainly is. If we are God's children, Hebrews tells us, he will chasten us. See, he has a specific plan for his people. And that plan is that they become purified. That they become a glorious church without spot and without wrinkle. He's in the business of sanctifying and perfecting a people for himself. He's a jealous God. It doesn't change. He's jealous for our attention and our time. He's jealous for our glory and our worship. We keep reading in this passage. He will not forgive your, your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt. The idea there is that, listen, he's going to hold you accountable. Does God still do that? Now, you know, listen, we've got grace. I understand that. We have mercy. The New Testament says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we're talking about in the context of this passage, consequence. There have been many times when I've counseled with people and they've come to me and they've said, Pastor, I've asked God to forgive me, but my life is still messed up. I still have problems. The situation didn't get better. It didn't go away. And that's because there's consequence. There are results that happen when we make choices. We keep going. After, after explaining to them this covenant relationship again, look, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, that means you must do what I say, and if you don't, I will bring about pain. I will chasten, I will hurt. I may even consume you. And we know, by the way, that judgment came to the nation of Israel. They were carried away captive. They were taken from their land. But notice verse 21. And the people said unto Joshua, No, 
Nay is that great old English word. Sounds like a horse to me, but no, in other words, no. No, Joshua. You've made the decision to serve the Lord, and we are making the decision to serve the Lord. When we think about our decisions every day, there's some big decisions of consequence in this passage. But you know, sometimes we think about things like a decision of what to eat. <laughs> it's interesting to me that in Israel's law, there's a whole bunch of laws about what to eat and what not to eat. It's interesting to me, too, that the New Testament, and we'll see a verse here, whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, keep going, we'll see it. It's not that God doesn't care anymore. It's not because we are under grace or mercy that God simply doesn't care anymore. It's just simply that under grace and mercy, we have the freedom to make this decision to the honor and glory of God. See, under grace and under mercy, every decision now that we make isn't motivated necessarily by the fact there's a command. It's motivated by the fact that we love and adore God and every decision we make can be a decision for God. Now, I'm not trying to make mountains out of molehills. I'm trying to get us to get a big concept here. I'm not saying you go to your closet, your, your, your pantry, and you open up and you stress over Cheerios or Wheaties. Right? That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that it ought to matter to us that we eat healthy and we don't destroy ourselves with our food and render ourselves unusable for God. So we can make health-conscious decisions to the honor and glory of God. We can make decisions about what we wear we can be appropriate, not because it's commanded or because somebody said three inches or two inches or five inches or not this kind or not that kind. Sometimes uniforms are appropriate. You know, I'm sure that your boss, if you've got a uniform does, and you're working at McDonald's, doesn't appreciate if you walk in with a Wendy's hat on or a Burger King shirt, Right? That's not going to fly. I mean, so we, 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 we believe in appropriateness. But we can honor God with that seemingly inconsequential decision, but yet very consequential. A decision of what to say. The New Testament speaks about that. We have a whole chapter in James about how wicked, how powerful, our tongues can be. So, I mean, you would agree with me, the pastor, you know, a lot of these things in the moment, you know, they're just a few words, but I can tell you this, I can remember very specific phrases that were said to me 20 years ago that both stung and hurt and also built up and encouraged And so, yes, <laughs> what we say sometimes, we think, man, I didn't mean a whole lot by that. And man, it became a whole lot more. Well, a decision of what to say, maybe a decision of what to do. Every once in a while, Kelly will ask me a question like, 
what's on your agenda for tomorrow? And I'll give some general, you know, I'm going to do visits during this time, and I'm going to do this during that time. You know, usually I have, I have somewhat of a plan. But can I tell you that nine out of ten days doesn't go according to the plan? And I've got to make a lot of adjustments on what to do. As Christian people, don't you think it ought to, ought to occur to us that perhaps some of the decisions I make each day could be very consequential. Could be. So, you know, we talk about, you know, man, there's a lot of insignificant things, but insignificant things over several days and weeks become habits, and habits become a life, and a life, you know, forms a character. And if I said certain names like Benedict Arnold or John Hancock or Charles Spurgeon, huh, a decision at 19 to preach. Thousands of preachers today are still influenced. He's not, perhaps he's aware of that. I don't know. But I can tell you this, he was a man who's, who, who, who at times in his life struggled with what he called darkness and depression. Sometimes thinking he wasn't making a difference at all. And yet he preached to packed out houses and church places. And he was in demand as a speaker in countless other places. And yet we would look back and we would think, what a man of God. He was used greatly. And we get that whole beginning, middle, and end picture. And then we look at our lives and we say, well, I'm not impacting. I'm not making that kind of an impact. And when we look at the story of D.L. Moody, we find that a Sunday school teacher who met him at a shoe repair shop and invited him to Sunday school and led him to the Lord. We often, I can't even recall at this moment his name. I should. I can't recall it. Some of you may, may know the name of that Sunday school teacher. But I can tell you this. It's been said that D.L. Moody, through his preaching, perhaps a million souls came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Why? Because one Sunday school teacher made a difference in his life by stopping by his shop in an in, in a seemingly insignificant decision I'm just going to encourage my Sunday school class student a little bit. I'm just going to invite him to, to, to come to Sunday school and to be faithful and to, and to study the word of God. I, I, just, I just, you know, in this small moment. Sometimes these insignificant decisions we make become significant when you get the whole picture. And so we have a verse of Scripture in the New Testament. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it, do all, do all to the glory of God. We should, as a people who name the name of Jesus Christ, who say we are Christians, we are servants of the Lord, we know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we are filled with the Spirit of God in us, ought to think and ought to know that there is a God who's actively working in and through us. Whether we can spe spe specify the ways or not, 
You know, haven't you ever been there in, in a circumstance where you're like, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing. But as believers, we know he's doing something. He, he's got a big plan, and whether I play a big role or a small role, I want to be involved. I want to be engaged. I don't want to be guilty of, of, of living many of my days or most of my days not conscious of the fact that I'm part of a bigger plan. And that's what Joshua was trying to get the people to understand. This is a huge decision. You know, it, 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 in life, we have huge decisions. They're all present in this story. There's, there's a decision of salvation. Joshua, his name, by the way, means Savior. And if you go back through this story, you'll find um, how God... They, they rehearse it. God delivered us, saved us out of the house of bondage. And a generation wouldn't follow God, and so they died off, so a new generation of people would follow God into that promised land, the culmination in that image of salvation. We see in, in, this, in this story a decision of sanctification. See, God's holy. And he wants you to be holy. And in the New Testament, Peter tells us, he gives us that powerful quote, be ye holy, for I am holy. It's in the New Testament. The decision of, of sanctification is in this passage. A decision of service. It's all, all over the passage. The word serve. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. So many passages of Scripture we could look at. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, going back to salvation, says, Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today's the day. The decisions of sanctification in 1 Corinthians 6.11 And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. In Titus 2.14 Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And See, these, these decisions, do you notice? They build on each other. This life of walking with the Lord, it, it starts with a salvation choice decision experience receiving believing and it moves into a understanding that god's doing a change in my life he's doing a sanctifying process and, and he wants to through that process he wants me to serve others or serve others through me and we see that here in this passage and then we have a decision of allegiance We, we are familiar with pledges, aren't we? I think sometimes we say the Pledge of Allegiance to our flag like it's an inconsequential, repetitious thing. You don't we? I mean, if you're with me, I, I would say there were times 
dozens of times in school that the teacher said stand. I don't know if they still do this in public schools or not, but uh, our, our school did this. We, we stood and we pledged allegiance to the flag. And in our school, because it was a Christian school, we turned to the Christian flag and we pledged allegiance to our Christian faith and to our Savior. And then we pledged allegiance to follow the Bible, the Word of God. And I got to tell you, there are so many times I did that, that, you know, it was like, did I really mean that? I don't even remember what I said, but I know I said the pledges. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb with all my heart and with all I am. I would dare say that for some of you, there was a time when that was the choice you made. If not, today can be a day of immense consequence for you. Because in order to be for God, you must be with God. And His Spirit is drawing people to salvation still today. And there may be somebody here who needs to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and not look back and look forward wherever that takes me. And I think the Bible is, is not silent. It reveals that that decision will lead to a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It will lead to empowerment to serve. It will lead for you not to, not to kind of walk the fence, but to make your allegiance known as you testify and proclaim the name of the one to whom has your allegiance. I want to show a video for you. And then review the message. So Danny, if you'll... I think this is it here. I hope so. Hold on, let me see here. Maybe not. All right, I don't think I have it. I think it got deleted on me, so we'll save that. By way of review, if I find it, I'll show it to you. By way of review today, we have immense decisions that we make, and God calls us to them. Sometimes little decisions become big decisions, but there are four decisions in this passage or four concepts in this passage. Salvation, sanctification, service, allegiance. You say, Pastor, how do I evaluate my life to know whether or not I'm voting for God? Well, we can look at our priorities, can't we? Do an honest search. What's really the most important thing in my life? Number them. It's good to evaluate everyone. We don't have to wait for January 1 to reevaluate. We can look at our possessions. How do I choose God with my possessions? Am I selfish with them? Am I giving with them? Do I use them for him? 
If, if, we, if we stop and ask ourselves, there are ways. Some of you have had church functions in your home. You've opened up your home. You give people rides with your car. You use your car to go and invite some folks to come with you to church. I, I mean, the list really is endless. I mean, from your toy Legos and inviting a friend over to play with you, invite him to church. <laughs> Using what you have to vote for God. You know, we can look at provisions, what God provides for you. By the way, all this really isn't mine, right? You understand that? It is God's, and he is entrusting it to us to be good stewards with it. My provisions, my money. If I open up my checkbook, if I print off my list of transactions, do I see God there? There's all kinds of ways. I'm not just talking about giving to the church. You might have a check to Operation Christmas Child, sending a few gifts with tracks that may go around the world, or buying some Bibles for, for um, Baptist Couriers for Christ, sending them a direct donation for some Bibles so that people who want them can have them. I mean, there's all kinds of ways when you open up your checkbook you open up your bank account. Is there, is there anybody that you, you did something for without expecting anything in return in there in the last two weeks? The last month? The last six months? Or the last year? Are there any checks to help? Voting for your God with your provision. How about with your peers? Hey, I, I, there were times when some of my peers were my co-workers and I didn't express my faith to them. I didn't always work in ministry. I worked in two secular, three secular places. And there were opportunities for me to say something, but my allegiance was kind of messed up that day. I was more fearful of man than I was of God. And I didn't vote for God. And there's some regret there. How about with your power? With your power. You say, Pastor, what do you, what do you mean with your power? Well, don't you think in the idea of choose, whom, choose this day whom you're going to serve, that that involves doing, which involves my energy. That's what that power is. It's my energy. I pour some of my life into serving God in my church and outside of my church with my words and my witness with my words and my witness. Hey, yesterday, I know there were some words I said that weren't words for God. How about you? Yeah, we've all been there, haven't we? You know, if I were voting for God in that conversation with my wife, I would have said that differently. My tone would have been softer instead of contentious. See what I'm saying? There's so many ways we can vote for God every day. You know, we can vote for God in our homes. We can vote for God in our workplace. We can vote for God in our church. We can vote for God in our community. It is my desire as a pastor that every volunteer committee in this town would have somebody from Glastonbury Baptist Church on it just so we have an opportunity to be, be a voice for God. 
There's a beautification committee. There's all kinds of committees. There's a committee called GLAD, which is there to reduce underage drinking and alcohol abuse among teenagers. And I, I want this town, every time they turn around, to bump into somebody who's not just for Glastonbury Baptist Church, but is for God. Sometimes we're too busy making lives for ourselves that we can't and we don't go out and take advantage of the opportunities that are there. They're just simply there. They're waiting. They're waiting for somebody to say, I'm going to vote for God. Hey, I would be fine. Now, don't everybody volunteer for this. I would be fine if somebody missed a Wednesday night service every month to sit down at the t town hall meeting so we know what's going on. I would be fine if somebody had to miss a service once a month to go to the Board of Ed meeting. See, I can't be at all those things. But there are so many opportunities uh, for us as, as, a, as a church to vote for God on an everyday basis. So I close with this question for you today. These questions. Within every decision comes an opportunity to glorify God, to vote for God. And it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. Are you voting for God or against God? Is God drawing you today to make a decision of immense consequence? Seek his glory and make the decision. Make the choice. Father, I pray today that as we consider this idea of glorifying you with our vote, that we would not limit that to a one-decision thing on November 6th, but that we would understand that every day and every moment of our lives is an opportunity to vote for you. And Lord, we only can scratch the surface of the opportunities. We can talk about them and we can look through the entire Bible and look at individuals in whose lives you brought them to five or six defining moments. And Lord, we're naive if we think that, in, that we can live, live our entire lives and not have any defining moments. Our choices impact those around us our family, our friends, our church. So God, I pray that you would help us to take seriously that our lives are revealing whether we're for or against you. And I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and in our lives and convict us and convince us that voting for you is the best decision we can make. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder this morning if somebody would say, you know, Pastor, I know that in my heart I have not accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I have not received Him. I've not repented of my sin in my own way and turned on all of that with abandonment to receive Christ. Would you pray for me? That's the immense decision that I need to make.
Is there somebody who'd slip their hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. That's the decision I need to make. All right, let me ask this, Christians then. What about sanctification? What about service? And what about allegiance? If you'd say, Pastor, God spoke to my heart about voting for him every day in those ways, would you pray for me? Would you slip your hand up? Let me pray for you. God bless you. Thank you so much. Hands all over. Thank you. You can put them down. Anybody else, Pastor? I didn't raise my hand the first time, but pray for me. God bless you. Anybody else? Father, I pray for each person who raised their hand today and even, Lord, for those who did not. God, I pray that you would help us to understand that what we do for you is extremely consequential. Whether we're we're serving in the nursery or we're we're singing in the choir. We don't know how you're going to take that service and touch other people's lives. And so, God, help us not to make light of the small decisions or the big decisions. Help us to live conscious that we vote for you. Oh, we at least have the potential to vote for you in all that we do, in whatsoever we do. You have given us a tremendous privilege to be your people. And God, may we live each day to honor, glorify, and magnify you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together. Kelly's going to play through a song.